Well, Palm Sunday, Luke 19, uh, this text where we read about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a very unique day, begins this Passion Week. And it says on, in Luke 19, it says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And he says, How I wish today that, you all, that all of you people would understand the way of peace, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. As Jesus weeps for this lost city, as Jesus weeps for the people of Israel who could not see the way of peace and couldn't see God's presence right in front of them. And yet they celebrated. They celebrated with abandon. They praised him. And the question that I often come to this text with is, did they actually understand did they really know what it was that they were celebrating? Did they realize also the significance and the necessity of the cross that was in front of them? Did they realize that to embrace this glory of God, they also had to embrace the suffering of Christ? That we'll look at and we'll focus on this Friday. Did they know? The question for us is, do we know? Do we understand why we celebrate? You know, God's intimate love and presence is really the central fact of christianity it's god with us it's evidenced in the incarnation story of christmas where god himself comes in the form of a little baby god with us it's evidenced also in the reality of jesus's ministry here on earth and his presence among a particular people at a particular time just like the story of palm sunday as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, here was Jesus, God present, God with them at that time. And it's also evidenced by the giving of his Holy Spirit to dwell among us corporately and to live within us individually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, For we are the temple of the living God. And God says, And I will live in them and walk among them. He speaks about his Holy Spirit. Did they know? Do we know the power of this presence for our lives, for our future, for our hope, and for our ability to function and to carry on day by day as God gives us breath? One of the questions that has been asked, I think is a good question, would you rather have a physical Jesus or an invisible spirit? It's really the question that Jesus was asking his disciples. As he said to them, he says, you know what? It's actually better that I go. It's better that I go because I will send one who is the advocate. I will send my spirit to live among you and within you. And it's better that I actually go. And yet sometimes I wonder what the disciples were thinking and feeling in those people at that time on that Palm Sunday. And so this is what Romans 8 is really about. Romans 8 is about this presence of God among us through his Holy Spirit. This is the text for us this week, this Passion Week, as we look at that today, as Palm Sunday, on Friday, at Good Friday, Easter Sunday as well. Romans 8 has been called the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. Puts in front of us some of the greatest blessings and gifts that God has given us. And front and center in that is the life in the Spirit. And it's been said by a number of people, Martin Luther said it as well, it's been mentioned here, Romans 8 is probably one of the best texts that you could ever memorize in all of Scripture. And there'll be an opportunity after Christmas. Walter Taves is going to lead through a four-week series, giving you opportunity to, to do that in community together with others. 
and to memorize and internalize this incredible text. So it's really a text about change as we look at Romans 8 today. It's what change really looks like. It's called transformation that Spencer already talked about here today. It's the central reason why our church actually exists, transformation in Jesus Christ that transforms individuals, families, communities, people. Romans, as we've been talking about, is, is about both justification and sanctification. Justification in terms of that big word that just means to be made right with God, to be made righteous before God, to be declared righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. But also sanctification of becoming holy, becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of his spirit. And yet there's this nagging question, how do people really change? You ever wonder that? I know you've thought that. Can this person in my life that I love so dearly who drives me crazy at times, can this person actually change? Can I actually change? If you're honest, I think you ask those questions. I sometimes wonder that. I think we all struggle with that at some deep level. I I have this book in my office uh, on a shelf that's amongst other books on this one shelf, and it's it's all the books that I want to read one day. And some of you are very nice and generous, and you give me books to read, and I appreciate that, but it goes on the shelf at the back of the line, a very long line of many books that I still want to read. And, and anyways, in this one book, it's called How People Change. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> haven't got to that yet. But I'm looking forward to it one day because we talk about it a lot, right? How do actually people change? How does transformation occur? Hopefully many of you received the letter to the church that I sent out on Friday, a spring update that came out, a cute picture of me there with a little puppy. Anybody see that? Okay, nobody? Okay, a few. His name is Snipper. I was four years old. Anyways, in this letter I asked the question related to our Roman series and the inherent focus that is on growth and new life that comes with spring, but also a new life that is spoken about here in Romans, about what will you change? That was one of the questions that I asked in that letter. So what is it that you will change this year? What is it that you will change in the growing environment? God's the only one who will cause things to grow. But how do you change the growing environment? It was interesting. The other day, my wife Lisa and I went for a walk, and she said it was a good letter. But she got it. She read it. But she also asked, so how are you going to change, Bruce? You ask us as the church to change. What about you? Don't worry. Lisa has your back. She asked the questions that all of you want to ask, but don't have the courage to. I changed the subject and we kept walking. (laughs) You see, change is hard and Romans 8 shows us how change is possible. It shows us how change is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and because of his Holy Spirit within us and among us. And this gift of the Spirit that he gives us that changes all things and makes all things possible. I want to just read through Romans 8 verse 1 to 17. You can Follow along in your own text or with the text on the screen. And at the end of it, I want to just kind of walk through a few things that come out of this text of what does it mean to live life in the Spirit. So let's read this astounding text of Romans chapter 8 after all we've come through of chapters 1 to 7. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body body like the bodies we sinners have. 
incarnation. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control... But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even... Though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the, spirit, through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. I want to just walk through and look at five things that come out of this text about what it means to live life in the Spirit. And the first one is this truth that is right there at the start of verse 1 that says, no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Freedom. I wonder how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands on this one, I just think about it. How many of you kind of grew up in a household where you had parents who used guilt as a motivator? Guilt is a terrible motivator, right? But how many of you sort of had a household where guilt was a motivator, okay? In your mind, you're raising your hand. Now, the honesty question, for all of you with all those children that we saw up here and others, how many of you have used that and passed that wonderful gift on to the next generation and used guilt as motivator for your children? No. We sometimes do that, not often intentionally, but we sort of subtly, slowly sort of use guilt as a way to motivate people in certain directions, but guilt is a terrible motivator. There's this one cartoon that I saw, and it was an adult uh, woman sitting with her older mother, and she said to her mother, she says, I feel like I need you less and less, mom, now that I can make myself feel guilty all on my own. And when you come through chapters 1 to 7 in Romans, you could actually be overwhelmed with guilt if you allowed it to do that. But verse 1 of chapter 8 breaks through that like a ray of sunlight into the eyes of a prisoner who's been in confinement and darkness for a long time and who steps into this freedom and has to readjust the eyes and blink and this ray of sunlight comes in and breaks into the darkness. And in many ways, 
Romans 8 verse 1 is like that where it has to be readjusted in our sights and readjusted in our lives and embraced in a new way to realize that this truth is incredible, that now for those in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. Yeah, I've met so many people who struggle with condemnation. So many people who feel constantly beat down, unworthy, inadequate, unloved, unlovable. The feeling that's all too common. It has many painful stories, and many of you can likely fill in the blanks of your own story in that. But then these words again come in. You need to hear these words. There is no condemnation, and it changes everything. And it puts this definitive end on this battle and this tension in terms of life in the flesh and life in the spirit. If you are in the spirit and if you have the spirit of God within you, which you do if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then there is no condemnation. Chapter 8 is this overwhelming dominance of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, cultivating holiness, empowering moral transformation in our lives to live in a whole new way. Which brings us to the second point, which is new power. What does it mean to live life in the Spirit? It means that you have access and you have this new power living within you. It is both a future promise and reality of the resurrection hope that our bodies will not stay in the grave, that we will be raised again to newness of life just along with Jesus who overcame the grave. There is this future new power promise. But there is also this promise for the present day in terms of how we live each and every day and the things that we face, the struggles that we go through, the pain that we experience, all of those things that make life challenging and difficult, there is new power in the midst of that. And what Paul is also saying is that there is new power as you struggle with your own uh, difficulties in life of actually living in obedience to Christ. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done this work of justification, of making us right, but he's also now doing the work of sanctification that continues through the power of this Holy Spirit. And just as the law as Paul has been teaching, couldn't bring justification, the law also cannot bring sanctification in our lives. It can't make us holy. Only Jesus, through the cross and through his Spirit, can make us holy. The Holy Spirit guides us into our inheritance. As Michael Bird says, he says it this way, the Holy Spirit leads believers away from the flesh and guides them into their inheritance as adopted children of God. There's no obligation to the sinful nature through the Spirit. Because through the Spirit, you have put that to death and change is possible through the Spirit's power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says that he's writing to the church in Corinth. He, he speaks of it this way. He says, because we have these promises, as he's been talking about the Holy Spirit in that context, he says, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Sanctification. He's saying we have a part to play. We are co-laborers with the Spirit. We have choices that we can make. We are co-laborers in terms of the sanctification process that is done through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit gives us power for, for obedience. He gives us both the desire and the ability to follow God and follow in God's ways. That's the Holy Spirit's power, this new power that is work within us. This very same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. What is it that enables somebody to forgive when there has been deep hurt or injustice or pain that has been caused to them? What gives them the capacity to do that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit within them. What is it that 
allows a mom or, dad, or mom or dad to continue to persevere day after day, maybe with a young child with a disability of one kind or another, with all the challenges and struggles that come with that on a daily basis, the power of the Holy Spirit within you. What is it that allows a loving caregiver to care for another who is sick or ill or dying, of lifting, feeding, bathing, waiting for somebody who might be in their final days or who are struggling continuously with health? The power of the Spirit within you. What is it that causes true transformation? Or maybe you've struggled for so long with this certain sin or these ruts or these patterns that you're in and you wonder, how is it that I can actually break free of this? Can I actually break free of this? And you can because of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You know, as was mentioned, tonight you'll hear 11 stories of people speaking to these things of the work of the Spirit within them and the power to endure, to overcome things, to continue to have hope, and to experience new life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is new power of life in the Spirit. Thirdly, it's a new identity. Life in the Spirit means that we have a whole new identity. If you have the Spirit of God living within you, you belong to God. And if you belong to God, you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. And so there's this assurance that is given there. And Paul says, life in the Spirit gives you this confidence, this assurance that you are secure in your salvation and secure in God. Because the Spirit of God testifies to that. In verse 14, it says, All who are led by the Spirit are children of God. They are adopted in. Abba, Father. There's this beautiful picture of adoption. Adoption itself is an act of grace. You're on the receiving end of adoption. There's absolutely nothing that you do. There's just something that is done uh, for you as you are adopted in as a new child. We often understandably in our context think of adoption in the form of a a little baby which which still works in this context and what paul is speaking to but he was probably speaking uh to an image that others would have looked at differently because of that era and how adoption actually happened in that day where oftentimes uh, wealthy and influential people adopted an adult generally a male oftentimes as a new and fully legitimate son in order to take on the family heritage and take on the family lineage lineage and to honor the family in terms of going forward and so they would see somebody with exceptional qualities whether a general of an army or somebody who served extravagantly well and it would often be an adult that they would adopt into their family somebody who then is gets rid of all of the rights and privileges of the previous family and all the identity including all of the debts if there was any debts that were to be paid or anything like that it was covered by the new adopted uh, parents who would adopt and take over their debts and wipe that clean And now they have all the rights and responsibilities and privileges of being in this new family. That's the image that Paul is pointing to here, that you have a brand new identity. You have a brand new inheritance. You have something that is given to you from the Father. Life in the Spirit means that His Spirit joins our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We have a new identity you know, I've, I mentioned uh, in weeks previous about being at Columbia Bible College and serving there as pastor on campus for a week and spending time talking to many young men and, and meeting with them and just having some times of connection. And one of the themes that came through in those conversations was the theme of fatherlessness. And this theme of fatherlessness that, 
that came from these, the painful stories of some of these young men where they had different stories, but the theme continued and carried through. One young man whose father committed suicide when he was nine years old, who grew up without a father, and also the pain and unknowing of what that was all about. One who had a father who was still in his life, but most of his life growing up, his father was absent and angry. And now his father was sort of connected into his life, but this young man played sports. He played on a sports team. He was quite successful at it. And he said, you know, in four years, my father has never come to watch a game. He lives 10 minutes away. Fatherlessness. One who had a father who left the mother and the siblings again at a relatively young age. And into this, however you have experienced this even personally yourself, God through his spirit says, you're my son and you're my daughter. You know, the gift of power and identity are really connected. Because what we do comes out of who we are. And when we start to understand who we are and whose we are and the identity that we have in Jesus Christ as an adopted daughter and adopted son, we live out of that. We live out of that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So identity matters in our transformation. Fourthly, life in the Spirit is about no fear. Life in the Spirit means that we can live without fear. Verse 15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You live differently now. You're in the ultimate in-group. You've been transformed from slaves to daughters and sons with all the rights and privileges of God's own children. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For you have not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. You don't have to live in fear and timidity anymore. You don't have to live in that way anymore because you've been given the Spirit of God that lives within you. The one who has overcome death. The one who has resurrection power. Why do you fear? It changes how we live and it changes how we die. In Hebrews chapter 2, one of my favorite texts in Scripture It says in verse 14 and 15, it talks about this overcoming fear and how we can truly live. And it says this, it's talking again about incarnation. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, Jesus. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He says, when you have the Spirit of God within you, you no longer need to fear. You don't have to fear in how you live, and you don't have to fear in going through death. You don't have to fear anymore. What an amazing gift. Some people live so much of their lives in fear. And having more of the Spirit of God in you removes that fear. And then lastly, this word glory. We see that life in the Spirit, we share in God's glory. Part of that is also sharing in his sufferings, as we see at the very last text. Verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, 
We are heirs of God's glory, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. You know, we cannot embrace this future glory without embracing the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 to 7, Paul says it this way. He says, In everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness. Catch the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit in there. Um, our, and by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. So there's this truth that we have, we share in this glory of God, but we do so as we also embrace the suffering of Jesus. We'll talk more about that on Friday. You know, I've been asked this week a few times in different conversations, we've talked around this question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Paul says in Ephesians, he encourages believers, he says, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Be careful how you live, be filled with the Spirit. And we see this so much in this text in Romans chapter 8. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? It's interesting, we haven't even really talked about the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. They're not explicitly in this text. There in other texts, Paul teaches on those extensively in other texts where he talks about this reality that, that there is a natural fruit that will come out of your life when you are filled with the Spirit of God. That as you pray for more of a filling of the Spirit, you will have more love for people. You will have more patience for people. You will have more gentleness and kindness in your life. You will have more perseverance, long-suffering in your life. And as you are filled with the Spirit, God will bring out the gifts that He has implanted within you and the gifts that you desire and pray for and long for and the, that the, the power of God's Spirit will be in you and through the gifts that you use. And you will see things happen in your life and in the church that show the power of God through the gifts of the Spirit as well too. But here in this text, even these things, and sometimes we, we simplify this down to just one or two things in terms of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's just so much that is the gift of the Spirit as we are filled with the Spirit of God. And even in these texts, just the five things that I've talked about here, that there is no condemnation. To be filled with the Spirit is to know that there is no condemnation and to be free. To be free from this condemnation of guilt and shame. To be filled with the Spirit knows that you don't have to walk in that anymore, that you are free. To be filled with the Spirit means to have new power. That the Spirit of God, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives within you and that you have new power in how you live and new power in how you die. It changes everything. To be filled with the Spirit means you understand in a deeper way your identity and your identity matters and it shapes you. And your identity, in fact, actually is what you live out of. And it changes the way that you live. You live with a new power because you are a child of the living King. You are a son and daughter of God Himself. When you're filled with the Spirit, you understand that. You know that. You embrace that. You live out of that. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have no fear. You don't live a fearful and timid life anymore. You're able to embrace the gifts that God has given you. You're able to embrace 
the circumstances that God has placed in front of you. You're able to walk with courage and confidence, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of who God is and what he's done, and because of his Holy Spirit that indwells you and lives within you and gives you the power to endure and the power to persevere and the power to overcome and the power to prevail. It changes how we live and it changes how we die. When we're filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we share in God's glory. Isn't that amazing truth? An amazing picture that it is about God's glory. It's not for our glory. And if God, as God uses us and gives us the gifts of the Spirit and gives us the power of the Spirit, these aren't for our glory. These are only for God's glory. It's all about Him. And we are second. But I pray that we would know and that we would understand and that we would long for and that we would pray for and that we would yearn for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the evidence of that each and every day. I want to invite you to stand as I lead us in a closing prayer and as the worship team leads us in further songs of prayer as well. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth in this word. We thank you for this text, which is such an incredible word of truth and encouragement to us. God, may you fill us with your spirit in unique ways. May you help us to understand that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. May you help us embrace you more fully. And God, may you show us by your spirit, even today, even as we sing these songs, as we pray these prayers, as we look to you, God, would you do a work that only you can do? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.